Welcome to the Architects of Ambition, the podcast where dreams take shape and futures are built. I'm Lyndon Dover, your guide on this journey of discovery and design, brought to you by Weaver, the online platform that's connecting contractors with the visionaries of architecture. Every episode, we delve into the minds of those who dare to imagine and create the spaces we live, work and play in. Let's get started. Hi, Jonathan. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Lyndon. Uh, good to have you here. Right, before we sort of dig into the, the core questions around how small practices are directed in the UK's residential architecture, I just wanted to find out a bit more about you and about your practice. T- tell us, you know, where are you based? What sort of projects are you typically working on? And I know you're not the uh, the typical architect, so I'm sure everyone listening would love to, to know a bit more about you. No, absolutely. Yeah, I'm not an architect. I'm actually a structural engineer. Um, I'm the founding director of Dash. We are an integrated architectural an engineering practice. Uh, we're based in Waterloo. We've got a focus on sort of like sustainability and how we could sort of use it in a, in a very technical way. So we look at the building fabric. We do a lot of stuff around passive houses. We have a sort of like a big interest in retrofit and uh, we do a lot of residential projects. That's great. For you in particular, obviously uh, becoming a structural engineer and then running uh, and directing a, an architectural practice like what attracted you to starting your own business what versus working for a large you know, structural engineering firm or working for you know a larger practice elsewhere that's a great question so i was um, working for a large international consultancy and we were doing a couple of projects internationally and when i finally uh, settled in in london there was quite a lot of i got involved in basements sort of like uh complex basements um and that that sort of just led me to working with a lot of clients on a more like one-to-one basis and from those interactions it made more sense to sort of kind of branch out do my own thing because i think the scope of services they required was quite end-to-end and it, it was something the you know the larger practice i was working for wasn't really they just wanted to do engineering that's it but i felt like in order to really discuss sustainability with clients or some options or value or how we can you know before because we get to design something where it's just put the building is pretty much designed so to have that sort of input earlier was how we started dash and how i partnered up with an architect and said let's kind of do it together so that we can have we could bring all those important conversations a lot earlier in the conversation yeah i can imagine you can streamline what might be a lot of rescoping work earlier on and really help the client get into the, the technical side earlier absolutely yeah I, I i do remember when our paths crossed many moons ago when i was a developer <laughs> i wish i had listened to you back then and, and <laughs> taken you on on your offer um so hindsight's a beautiful thing um well, that sort of neatly brings us on to sort of maybe the, the core question around um, your experiences, maybe around being a small practice. Um, how do you see the role um, of small practices in shaping the way we live today in residential architecture? Yeah, so there, like I sort of mentioned earlier, there are certain advantages of working with a smaller practice. We are, we can be a, more, a bit more adaptable to the brief, to the scope of what a client requires. Because we have lower running costs, we can, especially in the residential um, sector, it, clients are more comfortable with working with a smaller practice based on that. And, you know, there's a lot more diversity of thought 
in working with different small practices and clients have more of a choice of like, oh, I like, I met this person, this person offered me much more uh, advice. I'm going with them on the basis of that. So there are a couple of advantages of sort of use of, of you know, being a smaller practice, but I kind of think one of the ways in which we really, we've got a monumental retrofit challenge because of the housing stock, you know, in the UK and to try to modernize it. So I think this is where smaller practices are really going to come in. And um, that is how we're going to try and shape. So it's one is trying to pass on that understanding of, you know, this is what your building fabric, this is what it needs to do. And this is how we can get it to, um, you know, reduce, you know, your heating or um, save you some money in the long term or something like that. I've heard that um, one of the other architects we interviewed, Ben Machen, he was also agreeing with you that retrofitting is one of the biggest challenges. Uh, you know, uh, something like 80% of the Victorian uh, or, you know, or 80% of the existing buildings in the UK are mainly Victorian stock that um, yeah. are pretty pretty drafty. Um, so yeah, I, I, I can imagine that's a, a conduit for for small practices to, to help shape how we live. And obviously, the, I, I'm also speaking to architects all day, and they are saying to me that a lot of the time they feel siloed in their uh, design output or yeah. in communicating with other peers or competitors. And do you think that lack of unification amongst small practices is leading to sort of more diverse and more innovative designs? Or, or do you think greater innovation comes from maybe more shared learning and, and knowledge with other practices? What's your view on that? I think both statements have merit, right? Like, because of the lack of, of that sort of uniformed approach, there is that, you know, flexibility and diversity in the way we approach a project and the way we sort of put it forward. But there's also, we're also in an industry that's very rigid in the way it wants you to approach certain things. There's so much liability and then you've got regulations and you've got everything else that almost, I wouldn't say kills your creativity, but forces, even though you have a distinct way of bringing that, you still must conform to something later on. So what I actually believe is that we can have actually greater levels of innovation if we actually come together or there's some sort of like knowledge sharing because we all have our different specialisms and we can't do everything, right? So. You know, one architect might be uh, an expert in natural materials, straw bale, for example. Another one might understand, might have, might be a passive house designer and have some uh, understanding around building fabric. And the best way for all of us to work together is really to collaborate with one another, you know, um, or find a framework that allows us to say, okay, fine, I will look at your building fabric. You give me advice on a natural material. You know, you give me advice on something else. And we sort of just tie in and really put a robust proposal straightforward yeah i think that's in theory it's a, it's a great way to work you know collaboratively and almost open source in a way given that smaller practices operate independently how can this actually work in the real life you know how can the industry create avenues for more shared learning and collaborative design strategies it's already happening so there there are a couple of networks that are popping up I mean, a lot of them are around the climate issue. We have ACAN, we have Architect Declare, you know, um, we have the ACB and the Green Register, which are basically putting courses out there and trying to facilitate some learning. The UK Green Building Council is putting some learning out there as well. And we have the RIBA that is putting out some guides around ethics, health and safety, climate change, all in the hope that we can 
there are some case studies and learning and we can share and we can be part of like a greater network as well. There are also some networks like there's the Paradigm Network, which is about inclusion, black and black and minority ethnic practices are part of that and they come together. And even I think the London School of Architecture has a practice network and the whole aim is to try to foster some collaboration or some shared learning around it. So while it's not, a lot of these are voluntary and are up to the practice and the practice owner's time or the founding director's time, but um, it's starting to happen and it's starting to create a a good network of people that really understand each other and that collaboration model is becoming more of a realistic way of working. Fantastic. That sounds yeah. really positive, especially when it's around our planet's climate. Yeah, <laughs> that's a big um, issue. What can small practices, how can they be encouraged to engage in these forward-thinking, sustainable um, designs as opposed to merely sort of emulating existing styles or using existing materials? It, you know, with the backdrop of clients budgets always getting in the way those pesky things um yeah they might start off really green um but yeah i want i want to save the planet and then when the contingencies all used up and they're on site it's a different story absolutely how do you get smaller practices to be more brave is what i'm trying to ask oh this is yeah so i think a lot of it is down to you know the senior directors and management and how much time they want to invest so I think the constraint is the limited resources that smaller practices have, right? It's time. Like, you know, you're running around and doing so many more things. How do you have the time to carry on learning? And I think that there's a passion that really drives that. But what we're starting to see now is not, it's not only just being passionate about doing something. It's also clients getting wiser and saying, actually, I might not have the budget, but I want to consider this. So you, you kind of almost have to come to the table with these options and that, and understanding around how it all comes together. And what we run, it's always a challenge with, um, budgets because, uh, there are a couple of things. One is, you know, there's no certainty in terms of contractor costs, materials, everything kind of just is subject to the market, you know, but. I think one of the options that we have been saying to our clients is, look, you don't need the entire budget to get to an on end goal. You can, you can phase it out. So you say, for example, in the first three years, achieve phase, have a phased approach to how sustainable or how you want to improve your building fabric. So it could be, you know, redoing your, um, insulation and your windows and doors, and then later on adding another component. And you know what I mean to, to actually like get to where you're going and pull out that budget and you know so that's one of the options we're looking at a phase approach to uh, a more robust uh, building fabric another one is just basically letting clients understand i mean i think there's a mentality that everything is tied to square meterage you know as opposed to how i how comfortable the home is and and what we can look in terms of well-being so i think if we can have a shift as an industry to focus less about square metrage and more about comfort and well-being. You can do a lot more with that budget in that space than just maximizing it just to get the largest extension when you know, you know, you're not going to be able to do a, a great job in, in, in making it airtight and, you know, um, having a, you know, air source heat pump or a mechanical ventilation system. 
I agree with you, Jonathan. I'm hearing that a lot from architects, uh, especially about the viewpoint of of thinking how they can stretch their budget, thinking about wellness of the, of the property of them, and future proofing. And I've seen a lot of architects um, put pipe work in that allows them to have the tail sticking out ready for the equipment when they can afford it later down the line. So I think it's a really smart uh, way of trying to make sure that they're getting the most out of what they can afford at that point, but also having climate credentials later down the line. With that in, in mind, you know, I think it's worth digging into before we sort of go on to the, the closing questions here. How do you see the future of, of residential architecture evolving? I, I know you've said retrofit is sort of one of the main priorities, but considering the major role like uh, small practices play, what do you see as the future of how that's evolving? What I would like to see is a lot more collaboration between smaller practices on projects, you know, having networks coming together, sharing knowledge, sharing ideas. I feel we can do that. It's my course in small practices, you know, having an industry or having the regulators really understand what our challenges are and being more open to different ways and different ideas in which we present our design and deliver our design. I think, you know, the reason why we became an integrated practice for for example, and, uh, you know, why I became a passive art designer as well was to really understand what it means to work together. And there's so much value in bringing the engineering, bringing the contractor, speaking to the services, um, engineer very early on in that process, almost pretty much in that concept stage when you're fleshing out something, you know, um, that's how I would like to see the future. And I think with small practices like that can be the case and that could work very well and we'd be able to deliver a client's brief a lot more effectively we'd be able to maybe even turn around to a client and say is this what you really want you need to tell us what you really want and then from there we can try to find out how best now to to reach that that goal because you know a lot of people see what their neighbors have and just say hey i want to say being there but effectively like how do you want to live what are your priorities and almost dialing back from that and saying, okay, if this is the way you want to live, let's design something around how you can live and use that space and not necessarily, hey, just have your extension, have your large bifold doors in the garden, never go out in the garden. You know what I mean? Like, what are you doing with your garden space, right? Are you having a wild garden? Are you doing a bit of permaculture? Are you bringing the bees back? You know, so there's so many... Uh, that's what I would I would like to see an integration more disciplines just mash up everybody coming together and just doing things without that fear of like competition or you know just really a, an open way in which we can sort of deliver design. That sounds like a great uh, way of working. I, I hope we we reach that point. We will. Um, I'm optimistic. Yeah. Me too. Well, I hope that we'll be there on the way with you. Thinking about people. Uh, that are striving to start their own practice. Um, brave people. Um, thinking back to when you did, like, can you give any advice for architects or people that are, are in different disciplines thinking about you know, actually starting to run an architecture practice, um, wanting to take that leap you know, to start their own studio? What would be your sort of top one or two, or maybe even three, kind of, you know, uh, uh, go-to things that they should uh, do from your advice. So I would say that 
I would advise them to seek out other smaller practices or people running smaller practices and really have a conversation with them to understand what it entails. Um, because I think what happens is you, you almost make a shift from designer to facilitator. Your role becomes elevated. You have greater influence on a project and therefore it's really good to understand, um, the business side of, of running things as well. So you will be chasing invoices. You will be calling clients. You, you will be making it clear that this is when I want to get paid because I think the biggest struggle or obstacle that you could have running a, a small practice is watching that cash flow. And it doesn't necessarily mean that just because you have three, four projects on the go, it means money in the bank. You really have to manage how and when you get paid, what your payment terms are. You have to understand insurance. So there's quite a big, a big pool of knowledge. And the best way to do that is to speak to people who have done that. And by speaking to people who have done that, you all have a bit of an understanding sort of around it. Um, I was pretty fortunate. So I partnered up with someone who had a bit of experience running an architecture practice anyway. And we sort of were able to, and I, I had run an engineering practice and we sort of fused that knowledge in there together. Um, so, so yeah, I would say do that. That's great. Talk to others. Talk to, yeah. talk to others. Just know, yeah. like, know, know what it entails. It looks, it looks sexy. And, but what I love about it is I am able to put my vision out into the world and see that happen. That's the beautiful thing about running a small practice. You know, you get to define what you deliver to clients. You get to build some amazing relationships with clients. So there will be times you need to take the pen off the paper and actually get out there and sort of meet people. So it's great if you talk to other people and understand the role. Um, that sounds very exciting. And um, if uh, people wanted to to reach out to you, Jonathan, what would be the best way to sort of you know, get more advice or maybe talk to you about some of your current designs, you know, um, what would be the best way um, or maybe even help with the retrofitting crisis that we've got coming up? Yeah, yeah. Um, email, LinkedIn. Um, yeah, you happy to share my, you can share my details, Lyndon. I'm on LinkedIn. I do quite a bit of stuff on LinkedIn anyway. So if anybody wants to give me a shout, that's cool. Um, or just pop on our website and see what it is. That's great. I'd, I'd love to uh, to keep in touch about some of your projects you've got coming. I know you're working internationally as well on some pretty yeah. cool things. Um, so um, I'm sure the listeners will be interested to find out more about that as well. It's exciting. Um, it's exciting. Um, the, the work we're doing sort of in Nigeria is more, more community-based. It's a bit larger. And that gives me a bit of joy. And I, I almost see we can do... Design should always be sort of like at a community level. So even though we're doing someone's extension or garden, it's good to understand the influence around, you know, what a neighbor's doing. Let's see how we can create almost this little community ecosystem hub sort of thing. So yeah, um, I'll keep you posted. Awesome. Thank you. Well, cheers, Jonathan. Uh, thank you for your time today. Thanks, Lyndon. Thank you very much for having me. And that's a wrap on this episode of Architects of Ambition. I'm Lyndon Dover thanking you for joining us on this podcast, proudly presented by Weaver, where connections are more than just blueprints. They're the building blocks of reality. Until next time, stay ambitious and keep designing those dreams.